Welcome, everyone. We are here for another very exciting podcast today. I have a very good friend of mine, Krishan Aurora, who is joining us. But first, a quick message from Club GG, where you can create clubs for free and win hundreds of thousands of dollars in prizes monthly. And uh, with that being said, Krishan, I'm going to say a very warm welcome to you. A very good friend of mine. We spend a fair amount of time together. This is a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to be on, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, Christian, we've been introduced by a mutual friend. Uh, shout out to Tyler. Appreciate him putting us in touch and really have gotten to know over the last few years. And just a very impressive guy. If you might just give everyone a little bit of a, a slight background on yourself, and then I'll dive into some some yeah. questions. But just explain to me sort of your uh, – give me your whole life in, in two minutes. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, as Jeff was mentioning, hello, everyone. My name is Krishan Aurora. Uh, I have been in the digital media and fundraising space for the past decade. Uh, the core value proposition of me as a person is access to capital, raising capital for entrepreneurs all around the world, investing in the next big idea and bridging the gap between founders and capital is sort of what me and my team stand for. Uh, I've done that through a myriad of different positions, uh, specifically the most recent one being a media company that I started called The Aurora Project about seven years ago with the core focus of doing exactly this, working with high quality entrepreneurs, regardless of their race or uh, degree or geography and connecting them with uh, amazing capital uh, and bridging that gap from founders to capital. So uh, many stints in between. I was at Apple for a while. I worked with some big ad agencies for a while. But this is sort of the culmination of all my experiences is, is what I'm doing right now. And, and can you explain to me, there, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in 2012, there was a, a big change in the yeah. laws with yep. crowdfunding. Could you maybe touch on what, what happened with that? That's a great uh, question. Over 2012 to 2017, there were a slew of regulatory updates uh, that were launched by the U.S. government, uh, specifically of the Jobs Act, the Jumpstart Our Business uh, Act that is launched by the Obama administration. A Title III reform of the Jobs Act, specifically passed in 2017, allowed for unaccredited investors to invest in private companies directly. So before this act went into place, if you were an unaccredited investor, that means you don't have a net worth of a you know, million dollars plus and a few other regulations you have to meet to be an accredited investor. Uh, if you don't meet that, you have to use a broker or a platform to invest in uh, private companies. You can't directly invest in, in private companies. Uh, but that was changed in 2017 by Title III reform of the Jobs Act that allowed for everyday retail investors to invest in early stage startups directly, which has brought about the revolution of what uh, the industry we focus on is online syndicated fundraising or equity crowdfunding, which is the industry we focus in. Yeah. And so for for yourself, was this something, what made you have this idea to create the Aurora Project? Like, What, what was it that, was, there a, was it a specific, maybe a friend or family member, someone that you saw was having trouble? And was this, was it a key with this, this laws being passed that allowed you to do this yeah. and have your business? Yep. Yep. In back in 2015, uh, I was in Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's where I did my academic, uh, training. And a lot of my friends from my alumni network at Harvard and MIT were reaching out to me and asking me, Hey, we know you're working at a big ad agency. You just spent a couple of years on Apple's digital media team. Uh, could you look over our marketing plan for fundraising? Could you look over our marketing plan for our crowdfunding campaign? Could you look over our pitch deck for our fundraising initiatives and make sure our digital media strategy is dialed in? So after several advisory initiatives that I did with 
a lot of my colleagues, uh, specifically that those that were launching crowdfunding campaigns. This is back when, you know, Kickstarter and Indiegogo were very, very popular back in 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started seeing these entrepreneurs raise half a million, a million bucks through crowdfunding. And then my other friends that were raising capital through the traditional venture capital route were nine months in, hadn't raised a single dollar. So I was like, wow, look at this dichotomy here where individuals leveraging their community to raise capital were able to do it much faster and have this much deeper association to their investors versus the VC route that is very effective, but we're just taking longer and is somewhat segregated to people in Boston and San Francisco and New York just to a large degree. That's where a lot of the venture capital funds flow. So having seen this and having advised, you know, having raised millions through the crowdfunding method, I left a very cushy uh, ad agency job and started the Aurora Project, which was that was the goal to work with amazing entrepreneurs looking for capital and connecting the bridge between uh, them and, and their access to capital. And I, I want to ask with this, this is obviously a huge change in business and a huge law that or a sort of difference in, uh, let's just say, a path on how that what possibilities there are for people. And of course, with great powers, great responsibility, with I'm sure so many success stories and how great this is. Is there also, you know, have you noticed the other side of that too, where maybe, okay, crowdfunding, but people that maybe aren't accredited or taking advantage of it or, or the issues come in here. Have you seen some of that? And, and how is that protected yep. in the same, same sense? Great, great question. The regulatory constraints are that there are limits to how much you can raise. Uh, the original limit was a million seventy thousand. Now it's one point two million. They're incrementally raising it as they see the industry massively explode. That's sort of the first guardrails: the amount a business can raise mm-hmm. based on the audit financial, the audited financials they go under. So if you go under a audited financial process and are completely transparent with your financials, you can raise a lot more. If you do a reviewed financials process, you can raise a lot less. Um, and so that's sort of guardrail number one. Guardrail number two is the minimum investment in some of these early stage campaigns is only a few hundred dollars. So it's not like it's going to bankrupt a retail investor if they put in a hundred, two hundred, three hundred and fifty dollars in an idea they believe in, in an app that they already use or a founder that they believe in. So because the average investment values are relatively low and they're not financially detrimental to most people and the amount that the businesses can raise are sort of capped at, uh, you know, one million, five million and then seventy five million being being the highest amount. Um, it's it's sort of very well constrained uh, and regulated and the forms you have to file in order to be able to raise dilutive capital. So the Kickstarter Indiegogo model is non-dilutive capital, which is just a pre-order model. Uh, the equity crowdfunding, which is dilutive capital, which is you're giving money in exchange for shares in a company that has a lot of regulatory constraints from, as I mentioned, the amount you can raise, the forms you have to file before you can go live, the KYC AMLs you have to do with your investors and the uh, overall audited financial process you have to go down to be able to raise the capital. And I also have to touch on Harvard. You went to Harvard, you know, people here nowadays, people say, oh, college doesn't isn't so important or doesn't matter so many entrepreneurs or people that maybe skip college or depending where they went isn't important but obviously harvard you know everyone says that but those that went to harvard will say differently and and, and rightfully so it is kind of the the creme de la creme the the number one spot tell me a little bit about harvard and, and what yeah. that was like getting in the experience and and how it was there yeah, yeah the experience was absolutely phenomenal you know i i somewhat agree with the mainstream methodology that it doesn't matter where you go to school. It matters if you have the hustle, the ambition, the drive with the advent of uh, all these online e-learning courses uh, that you can have access to. You know, MIT and Harvard are also open sourcing their classes, right? So to a large degree, 
some level of higher education is completely free and available online. And if you have the ambition to learn and stick with it, you can do it online. But that said, the real benefit that I saw was the peers that I was surrounded by. I mean, these were absolutely incredible individuals who were much smarter than me in so many capacities all around the world that were doing really life-changing society impact initiatives at a very, very young age that weren't really giving much uh, in life. So that community that I was around was incredible. And it just so happened that Boston you know, over the past 20 years has been a hub for venture capital and innovation, specifically the Cambridge area, because of Harvard and MIT being like five minutes away from each other. You know, the, the endowments of both of those institutions is like 30 billion each, something like that. So it's an incredible amount of capital uh, flowing through the universities that bleeds into the entrepreneurship initiatives that bleeds into the type of people that go there. So the overall ecosystem built there was just unparalleled. And and did you know that's always where you were going to go or want to go? I mean, obviously, everybody you said you want to be competitive, but when, when was it that you knew, like you applied? Were you, did you apply to a variety of schools or was it just yeah. that one and you knew you were getting in? Like, did you have yeah. 1600 SAT? What was, how did you get in? Yeah, that, that was always the end goal, right? To, to end up at Harvard. Um, it was a dream from parents of mine uh, and graduating from there, you know, student body president when I was there. And, and I was also the Apple campus representative. The Apple came to Harvard and picked one student. Uh, to represent the entire Apple brand uh, across the Harvard ecosystem. And that was sort of their leadership training program into the ecosystem. So they selected me and it, it was just an incredible uh, experience. And, uh, you know, sort of from day one was the goal to, to get in there. Very nice. And and tell me, so I want to I look here at the Aurora project, which you, you said about, was it seven years ago yeah. where you started? What, what was the, uh, you know, how, how did you actually put the idea and, and bring it to, to fruition. How did, how did it, how did you say, you know, where, where did it, where did it begin? Where did you wake up and, and actually take this stand from the idea to make it a, to yeah. build a team? How are you able to build a team and, and talk to me about who, who, how many people are involved to make this idea come to life? Yeah. Uh, when I first started off, it was just me. Uh, I was doing the graphic design. I was doing the copywriting. I was doing the Facebook ads. So individuals looking to raise capital, through a Kickstarter campaign or an equity crowdfunding campaign would reach out to me and say, hey, we know you've done a couple of campaigns already. I've already advised a couple of campaigns. I know what the process was. So first time founders raising capital through this distributed syndicated online route would come to me and say, hey, look, we have like an incredible company with an incredible product. We just need a Sherpa to guide us down this path on how to do it. So when I first started off, it was just me. I was the one creating the pages creating the PowerPoints, creating the, managing the Facebook ads, doing the PR to the newspapers myself, and a sort of hand-to-hand -hand combat model of what, how, how I was individually managing one to two campaigns a month and sort of scaling it there. And I remember the first year that I did it, I made like three times the money that I could have made in the corporate world. And I was like, wow, not only is this impactful to the people I work with, there's a real revenue generation possibility here, a, a real scalability aspect to, uh, to this as well. So what started off as just a consulting gig uh, really turned into a company very, very quickly. Uh, by the time we got acquired, we were about 50 plus people by the time we got acquired across wow. multiple states uh, and not the parent company level, uh, an, an incredible tech platform named Republic that stands for distributed fundraising and decentralized fundraising across many different verticals, acquired us back in uh, you know January. Uh, and now we're a few hundred people at the parent company level. Wow, it's crazy. And and talk about the acquisition. How big a deal and how did you know? Because this is something you, you see companies are successful. The, the valuations go up. They get higher. We see success stories of crazy multiples. And then we see also some companies that didn't sell or don't sell and they want more. You know, how, how do you have that when you talk about hundreds of millions of dollars 
um, you know, similar to athletes, right? Like Lamar Jackson now, it's like, oh, 250 million, he's waiting or whatever. Like, how did you know or when do you actually decide it's time to to, to move on and, and sell or get acquired? What what was the what was the was it a number goal? Like how how do you how do you kind of yeah. differentiate when to do that? The ability to scale your vision comes hand in hand with the team you're surrounded by. So I really saw the partnership with Republic, our ability to go global with what we're doing. Republic is an incredible platform uh, led by incredible leaders. You know, Republic just acquired the largest retail investor fundraising platform in the UK called Cedars. It was a hundred million pound deal. They just closed a couple of months ago. Uh, so now we're not only focusing in the US, but we're also focusing in the UK and the larger Euro European ecosystem. We have you know initiatives launching in, in the Southeast Asian ecosystem pretty soon as well. So uh, the ability to globally scale with an incredible team was sort of the main reason why. And by the time we got acquired, we had about five other MA offers on the table that I was going through. Uh, it was a little bit of serendipitous. You know, I think about this process all the time. What is luck? You know, was I lucky? Was I hardworking? We were just working really, really hard. And COVID hit. And as unfortunate as COVID was uh, for the global ecosystem and the healthcare ecosystem, one of the industries that benefited was anything in the online space, as you're aware. Anything in the you know net Netflix space skyrocketed. Anything in uh, in the online fundraising space skyrocketed because the venture ecosystem froze up. They said, we don't know what's going on right now. We're not going to deploy capital in early stage ventures. We're going to double down investing in our late stage ventures that need capital to stay afloat. Businesses that we've already invested hundreds of millions of dollars in, we're going to focus on those guys. And the early stage guys, I'm sorry, it's too risky in the COVID environment. When that happened, all those deals came to our world by force, not really by choice by force. And when they did, they saw that this was a better, faster, more efficient, community-driven way of raising capital. That skyrocketed our growth. Um, and before this sort of trend of, of skyrocketing growth happened, we were already the leading media company in the distributed fundraising and crowdfunding space. So it was we were already growing very fast. Um, these things completely out of my control happened. Uh, and our industry exploded with growth. We were the number one players at the time and we continued to work hard. And, you know, by the end of 2021, we had multiple M&A offers on the table because we were you know, a company generating several millions in bottom line revenue and uh, were able to pick the best one and, and go with them. And I got to touch on poker. So poker is something that obviously we share interest on. We've played together and we've, we've discussed poker. What sort of similarities do you see with with business in your world and on day to day and and poker, what what is kind of a crossover skill set that you you kind of feel that is is relevant within within poker and business? It's the same game, just played in a different layer of life. Uh, regardless of the two cards you get, you know, I wasn't necessarily given anything in life. Uh, four or five, four yeah. or five cards, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's our new. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of how many cards you're given, two, four, or five. Uh, it, it's how you play them and it's sort of showing up every single day. You know, there's a really amazing quote um, that I heard a while ago. Uh, it, I think it was by Will Smith who said it. He said, you know, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm not the toughest person in the room, but I will die on the treadmill before I get off. And that's going to be my competitive advantage is sort of the ability to just show up every single day. That layer of poker where it's just like, keep playing your hands, keep refining your game, 
uh, you know, keep understanding why you're losing, keep understanding why you're doing better and sort of really understand your intuition mixed with GTO uh, to become a better poker player. You can apply that to entrepreneurship, which is just keep showing up every day. I mean, I remember during the COVID lockdowns, I was the only one going to my office by obviously by law, but I was going every single day, 12 hours a day. You know, everybody else was at home sort of taking some break and I didn't even think about taking a break. And it was just a, I kept hearing that quote in my head that Will Smith said, hey, just keep showing up every single day. And if that's the biggest advantage that you can create, that's going to separate you uh, in spades in the long run. So with the poker aspect of getting in more repetitions, more hands and always being open minded and humble and learning from your mistakes. If you apply that for entrepreneurship, I think it's sort of the same game. And that's why so many of my founder friends play poker. And as, as you know, as a founder yourself and, and multiple times that we play poker, too it tends to attract that type of individual that's risk-taking, hardworking, and sort of understands that repetition leads to success. For sure. And speaking on crowdfunding, obviously, uh, we mentioned a mutual friend and, you know, with, with Stake Kings, how crowdfunding for poker tournaments and, and also I have to give, you know, credit to Pocket Fives as well. So there's another player in the industry and also similar within any industry. I believe when there's competition, it's good, right? Like well, for a while, Poker Stars was the the only real, like the, the, the clear winner and they started making some decisions. There was stuff going on and it wasn't great for the industry. Now, you know, Stake Kings is sort of the leader in this crowdfunding, if you will, for poker, which is a, it's pretty, pretty important, right? Cause it brings yeah. money that's outside of the community yeah. and jurisdictions or places where maybe people can't play poker. They're able to buy a piece. It helps the industry, helps more money get into it. It helps people that want to play, you know, some bigger stuff or opportunities to do. And, and this type of thing, tell me a little bit about uh, kind of competition and and how that's healthy in industries that, that you've noticed and maybe maybe you've invested in and in, in how that works and and I have a couple of questions within that but just maybe yeah. first on that how do you see competition within industries yeah. for brands being strong Uber and Lyft for example like is this something that's super important or do you do you, do you like when it's more dominant one 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 uh, yeah. one company Wait, to, to your uh, first point I do think Stakings is an amazing platform and what the work that Tyler is doing with his team is incredible, sort of giving access to top tier players that, you know, everyday investors can get a stake in their game. And I think that bridge is only going to grow. And I, you know, I hope continued success from the State Kings team. Um, in terms of competition, I think in 2022 and leading into 2023, the everyday consumer is so much more informed and has access to so much more information that. Uh, you, businesses can't get away with things they used to get away with uh, a decade or two ago. So now, you know, pricing is a downward pressure given competition. Uh, value proposition is an upward pressure given competition. So uh, it's competition only makes everything cheaper, faster, better. And, and it allows for uh, the, uh, the consumer to choose from the individual uh, who is the business that is giving in the free markets the best value proposition for the lowest price. So I think it's absolutely essential for, for continued success uh, in the long run. Yeah, that uh, that, that makes perfect sense. I, I do, you know, I, I also like the, to speak about luck or different opportunities. You say that, that quote that I love, it's you know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. You know, I, I do feel it's also it's funny in poker, right? Because there is a lot of times where you you just can't you'll you 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 know you might hit a bonus or you might get one outed, and it's just kind of wild with that. How do you deal in business? Because it's it's it, you know my wife, who you know Amelia, and then, and in general, like kind of women, I feel that are that they they feel a lot of times about results oriented, and people are like that in poker too. But you know, my wife doesn't care if I lose kings to ace five suited in a tournament. Like, what's the result? How do you sort of calibrate that in business where you might have the best idea 
you know, you might, everything might be right. And then maybe COVID wipes out your, your yeah. opportunity, your side. There's all these like sort of things that I think that's one of the things poker does so well is it, it prepares you for variance. Like, yeah. Oh wow. Or, or if you can really get that idea that there is things that matter luck wise, but you can't let that affect you. How do you sort of, um, how do you, how do you deal with that in business? I'm sure yeah. you've, you've experienced yeah. extremes on both sides with luck. Very similar to poker. I, I'll, I'll start with poker, then I'm leading the business. With poker, if you're playing a game and you realize the personalities on the table and sort of start understanding the way that they're playing, you adapt your game to your environment. You know, you sort of pivot. It, maybe you were playing too aggressive in the beginning or you're playing too tight you, or, you're, or you're playing sort of a mixed ground. You sort of change based on the environment of the game. The ability to pivot in poker is as important, if not more important, in entrepreneurship uh, because it, look at even our trajectory. We started off as a digital media agency. We would do Shopify stores, Amazon stores. Uh, you know, we would do social media campaigns, content creation, and crowdfunding. Then we pivoted to just crowdfunding. Then we pivoted to equity crowdfunding. Now we're doing much more. So the, the business model over the past six years, the services that we've given have evolved every two years based on the market needs. And we sort of shed our previous skin and launch sort of a, a new business line, which is dangerous in itself because a lot of the times that does lead to complete business failure and sort of the wipeout of, I remember letting go of seven figures worth of clients because we were changing our complete business model and we had like six months of runway, right? So I'm like, okay, if this doesn't work in this new business industry, there goes everything I've worked on for the past five years, but right. it actually ended up being the number one thing that got us acquired and got us to the point that we are now. So the ability to pivot given your environment and macroeconomic circumstances is by far the most important thing I think in poker that leads to longevity and success and in entrepreneurship as well. Very cool. And I do have some, some questions I, I have set. So I want to make sure we get that. I know we're on a, a time crunch today. I appreciate you again being here before I know you have a travel day. Um, I, I want to ask you about Forbes and, and what you, I believe you write or you've done some work with Forbes. What is, uh, what is that specifically that your relationship or, or yeah. engagement with Forbes? Yep. Uh, I'm on the Forbes agency council, which is an invite only, uh, Forbes contributorship that they give to founders of media companies that generate X dollars in revenue a year and that had sort of a, a standing in the ecosystem. I write monthly articles on Forbes, on entrepreneurship, uh, on fundraising. I have about 20, 30 articles out over the past two years, and I do about one every four to six weeks. Uh, my next one's coming out in about two weeks from now. Uh, and that is just my area to talk about my experiences and with the, the trends that I'm seeing in the industry, what I think is important uh, and what my peers might find relevant and important as well. Very cool. And what are some of the aspects of your job that get you energized to go to work? Like what are some of the, some of the things that just you love that, yeah. with what you do? Um, you know, there's these, there was a concept that I learned of in Cambridge that I didn't even really knew existed. It was called for profit social enterprise. And I was like, wait, what is that? And when I really understood what that focus line means, it means generating capital, generating revenue while making the world a better place. Those are not mutually exclusive concepts. Those can actually live together very synergistically in many areas of life. And I was like, wow, if I can go through life feeling good about the work that we're doing, that is in positively impacting people all around the world while generating millions of dollars a year in revenue, that would be the best place to be in because you're heart and your soul is content because you're being a good person and you're also generating revenue and paying people and paying taxes. So that was sort of the, the focus point of what I wanted to do, which was uh, create an organization that had both 
the the for profit uh, angle and the social enterprise angle, and that's what sort of gets me really excited about what we're doing now. The so, there have been so many entrepreneurs that we've worked with. We've raised and invested millions of dollars in their company. They've been able to launch a third store, a fourth store, and then I get these handwritten letters and these very endearing, thoughtful uh, outreaches from the founders that we work with. It's like, hey, like, thank you for believing in us. Because of this, we've launched our third flagship store. I actually posted one of these on my Instagram. Uh, I, you know, we were able to scale our business, or scale our ventures, specifically because you believed in us. And now we're actually launching and expanding upon our dreams over the next few years. So uh, it is that ability to leave a positive impact in this world while continuing to generate uh, payroll for our employees and hire more people. That's sort of what's getting me going. And that's what we stand for. Very cool. And how do you how do you start your relationships with startups? Do do the startups contact you or do you search out the startups uh, that need financing? How, how does that process work? Uh, it's 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 both ways. Predominantly, I would say it's businesses reaching out to us on an inbound level uh, that are looking for capital. We have a very strict vetting process. You know, you have to be post revenue. You can't be at the idea stage. It's too high risk for a lot of these investors. You know, do you have a coherent pitch deck and a forecast in mind of where the company's going? Do you have all your audited financials done? So we have a very strict diligence process that we look at from the team to the value proposition to the traction, the growth metrics of the business. So because of this diligence process, we have a lot of businesses apply to work with us. We go through this diligence process of those that make it sort of towards the end of it that we know are serious about their business. We end up hiring. But we also do outbound for businesses that we believe in as well. And, and what is sort of like an intangible that you've noticed within successful entrepreneurs over the year that you've noticed because like I, I mr beast for example right this is a guy he's actually likes poker and i know some people that know him pretty well and i was just watching something actually on forbes i believe it was that they yeah. were doing an interview with him he was just you know hit like 500 million net worth he's this kid but like he literally grew up with you know almost nothing he's very very humble beginnings but the guy just you know he, he had a vision he was saying he worked you know, 11 years old till 19 study did this was figuring out youtube went contrarian no one was really into it and his thing and he just stuck in there believed in it and now it's i mean super impressive obviously he's gotten help and probably people he's he's gotten a great team but you know whether you went to harvard or or you don't go to college um you know you hear success stories right so and and also people go to harvard that aren't successful that's not a guarantee maybe gives you a much better chance but what are something that inherently you see that with successful founders business people um in general I, I think it's a concept that I, I'm actually writing about right now. You know, you hear a lot about work-life balance. And the first question you have to ask yourself, in my opinion, is what is the arc of the work-life balance you're talking about? Are you talking about day-to-day balance? Are you talking about week-to-week balance? Or are you talking about year-to-year balance? What I mean by that is, do you want to have a balance day-to-day? Like, I'm going to work eight hours a day and then spend time here and spend time here. Do you want to work week-to-week? Say, for the first two weeks out of the month, I'm going to work really hard. And then the last two weeks, I want to take it slow. Or I'm really going to go all in for 10 years of my life to make sure the last 60 or last 50 years of my life are incredibly peaceful and 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 pros- prosperous for my family, my loved ones, and all of my teammates. If you think of it as the last option, which is how I did, uh, that is the one differentiating factor between most entrepreneurs that I know that are successful and aren't, they go all in. And so did Jimmy, Mr. Beast. I mean, he went all in. If you look at some of his earlier videos, I mean, you know, counting to a million, saying Logan Paul a million times, like all these different things that he did when he had like no followers, just for the love of the game, he was out there hours a day. I mean, I think he said PewDiePie, God knows how many times, like 
he's for 11 hours, 12 hours, 13 hours, sitting in front of a camera, doing the same thing over and over again, just to get a reaction and build a community from people when he had nobody around him. That type of drive and dedication of the love for doing it for the love of the game, not for the end result, showing up every single day and realizing that, look, everybody preaches work-life balance. And I understand that family is very important. Health is very important. You know, your, your mental health, physical health is very important. Social connections are very important, but unless you're willing to do what others aren't, you're never going to be in the position that others want to be in. That's how I look at it. And, you know, I spent just like everybody else who, who uh, works really hard, hundred hour weeks for like six, seven years. And yeah. my peers were going out on the weekends. I was staying home and working. So that is the sort of the one thing that I've seen is the intangible difference is doing it for the love of the game and showing up at the most random hours and continuing to push on the weekends. I have an uncle who's in New York, who's, who's very, very successful real estate developer who told me anecdotally, he hadn't taken a Saturday off in like nine years. Right. And I, I was like, wow, that's freaking insane because he was sitting me down. He's like, look, add those days up. Right. So that's four days a, week, a month, 48 days a year times nine. You're talking about like, you know, a whole year that he's added of work over that decade that his competition didn't have. And that's what separated him from everybody else in terms of incremental progress. So I think it's it, that intangible that that adds a lot of value. Yeah. It reminds me of, you know, Bill Perkins with Die With Zero, sort of that book concept, too. There's different life stages, cycles, things that you can do and can't do at certain times. And, you know, sometimes you may be, yeah, you're sacrificing certain things at a, a period of time that that, that does uh, exponentially set you up or your family up. And that's just uh, that's that's well said. Uh, also, I got to ask you about Miami based uh, and having offices here. Does Miami have advantages in your business or is this just you said, I, I want to live here. I can be remote and this is where I'm going to live. Um, first and foremost, the incredible work Mayor Suarez and his team are doing with the Miami ecosystem just needs yep. sort of a national applause. And it, it has gotten and garnished national attention. Uh, it's to the point where so many incredible founders have moved here. Just, uh, you know, another point in the COVID, as, as unfortunate, as detrimental as COVID was, one of the outcomes was a lot of people realized that if they're going to stay at home and work from home, why would you stay in New York? in a freezing cold with no outdoor dining and yeah. pay higher taxes when you can come to Miami and at least have a comfortable lifestyle from a cost of living perspective, have a comfortable lifestyle from a weather perspective and have the ability to go out while you're working from home. So Miami's always had this incredible work-life balance where you can work really hard and have a fun time on the weekends and sort of re-energize yourself with friends and family. Um, I've always loved it. You know, it's a lower tax bracket state for, for a lot of people because of the state income tax not being here. Uh, and also the weather and the overall entrepreneurship ecosystem. You know, if you go to a place like New York or Boston or San Francisco, a lot of the tenants and players are well-established because they're such old towns that have been working for so many decades, establishing reputations and social circles. Miami is in its teenage years. That's what me and a lot of my colleagues say. When New York's sort of a full-grown man, Boston's a full-grown woman, you know, San Francisco is full-grown as well. Miami is still in its sort of its teenage years where yeah. it's growing up right now as a city. It's getting taken more seriously for the entrepreneurship uh, initiatives that we're launching a lot of, of which is being done by what the work Mayor Suarez and, and what Ron DeSantis are doing. So for so many different reasons, from lifestyle to ability to grow faster, I think Miami is the, the perfect place to be right now. Yeah, I, I've gotten to meet Mayor Suarez and very impressive guy, very impressive what he has done. And also just in general, I think, and well, I mean, obviously he's a, he's sort of the face too. He's, he's getting it into action, but really Miami and Florida just seems to get it. And there's a reason why there's so many people moving here and it does seem to be blossoming and growing. I like what you did there with the New York 
the how you you know in in Boston then gender neutral you didn't you didn't give San Francisco uh, a label on, on what it is I saw you did very nice um how how is uh, how is your business affected by economic cycles does the prospect of recession does it actually maybe does it put a damper or would actually raising capital help in this this these type of times yeah. um it, I think it's there's a bit of an inverse correlation where when the when the economy is not doing so well, investment capital, investment dollars slows down in the early stage space because it's more risk. That then leads more room for us to come in and add more value to that ecosystem. So it's sort of relatively inversely correlated. Uh, and when the economy is doing well, there's a lot more capital in space that competes with us to some degree. But, you know, the more capital there is flowing into entrepreneurs' pockets, the better the world is and, and the better the world spins around. Okay. My last question for you, as I know you do have a very tight schedule enough to get running uh, today, is about um, some of the things you enjoy doing. I know chess, poker, but I got to ask you about ping pong specifically because yeah. my father is obsessed with ping pong and he said that you referenced playing. He wants to know if there's any good public ping pong facilities in the Miami area. Do you ever get out there and, and mix it up in the open and, and, and yeah. compete? And how good at ping pong are you? Yeah. I'm, I'm decent. I'm not the best, but I, you know, I'm also not the worst. At There was a incredible uh, ecosystem in Miami called the Cambridge Innovation Center. This was on sort of Northwest uh, 25th Avenue, uh, where it was sort of a four-story building that housed all the early stage uh, businesses, a lot of the high growth early stage businesses in Miami, it actually stems out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, where they started the CIC, the Cambridge Innovation Center, which was sort of a, a 50 story building full of startups. Think we work, but very, very much startup focused and like entrepreneurship focused. So they opened one in Miami uh, 2017. I got one of the first offices there and they had a ping pong table where me and a lot of the founders on our lunch breaks, after hours, Friday, working late nights would play ping pong. We actually even organized like a startup ping pong bracket tournament where all the teams would play against each other. It's just been something that I've been playing for a very long time. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's also very applicable to an office space. It doesn't take that much room. People can sort of use it as, a, as sort of a, a quick break mentally. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm decent at it and would love to play in a game one day. Well, I, I'm happy to play with you. my dad. However, he, he is obsessed. He's literally, I, I don't know the age cutoff Olympics or whatever, but that is like has been his thing. And he, he, he really takes pride in slapping me around now because for a while that you know couldn't find much to beat me up but he's he's got my number there next time he's here you guys left to play and you listen i know uh, again thank you so much it's a pleasure I've, I've actually know a lot about you learned some new stuff today i hope everyone at home enjoyed it and again you can ask questions below i know krishana as we showed he is available as well on twitter instagram what are is which is your platforms do you do you like to yeah. do you engage with more or twitter and instagram both oh and linkedin as well either or anyone needs have has any questions or any ideas more than happy to add value to any of you in any capacity very cool well listen krishan i am gonna thank you i'm gonna let you run for your vacation or you know i guess travel where you're at and i'll see you when you get back we'll be battling i'm sure in some poker i appreciate the time thank you so much and everyone please yeah. give him a follow check him out very impressive guy great guy and thank you for the time thanks jeff appreciate you all right, guys, we'll see you next week on another episode of The Flow Show. This was Jeff Gross Podcast, Krishan Aurora. Very, 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 very impressive guy, I got to tell you, and a great person. I'll say it one more time. Please give him a follow on all the platforms. Check him out. And uh, if you need some crowdfunding, you know, there's a, there's a path. There's a way to do it, and hopefully he can, he can also help you with that. So thanks again, everyone. We'll see you soon. Cheers.